What's up, everyone? Welcome again to Doc's Point of View Podcast. I'm your host, Trey. Today, I got to have a conversation with a good friend of mine. He's an HM2. He has a little bit of a diverse career. We dove into some topics such as leadership, the Corman community as a whole. We talked about skill sets and administrative roles that me and him have both shared or have performed. We even talked about some of the FMF pen qualification processes and stories that go along with that. I don't really want to give away everything in the conversation, but it was a pleasure to talk to him. So let's dive into it and I hope you enjoy. Hey, real quick, if you can and you're willing to support us uh, in whatever way you can, we always really appreciate it. With the best ways to do that, go to patreon.com slash podcast, pick a tier that's right for you and support us if you can. We would really appreciate you. Lots of really cool benefits there. Go check them out. Also, don't give up the ship apparel. It's dgutsapparel.com. Get yourself some naval pride and heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, all kinds of cool shower shoes, little like uh, drawstring bags, all kinds of cool stuff, a bunch of really cool custom stickers, and then the challenge coins and, and don't give up the ship podcast apparel is there as well. So please, if you can and you're willing to support us, go to those two places uh, and find whatever way works best for you. It's dgutsapparel.com and patreon.com slash dgutspodcast. Thank you. Okay, so let's start this off. Uh, please share with me as comfortable as you want. Just tell me who you are, what you've done in the Navy, maybe some stuff before the Navy, and then we'll go from there. Okay, yeah, so I uh, grew up in a army town and uh, saw kind of how that was from my dad and just being gone like for a year at a time. And uh, my buddy just happened to tell me about uh, somebody he knew in the Navy and how his deployments were only like nine months, and he had his own bed, he had hot showers, and uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds like the thing for me. Uh, Yeah, I was working like BS construction jobs and delivering pizza, just really dead-end jobs, so that's kind of why I joined. Um, Yeah, as far as what I'm doing now, so I'm a corpsman, Uh, yeah. So tell us, tell us uh, your history assignments. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, after a school, I went to a hospital ship, um, and that was great. I, I was there for three years, um, and I highly recommend it. I, every time I talk to somebody about it, I have nothing but great things to say about it. I got to do uh, a couple of missions and a bunch of sea time, so that was cool. And then I went to a little clinic and. Uh, Worked in preventive medicine, medical readiness, a couple other places in there. And then now I'm at a Greenside. So you've done three duty stations. Well, you're, you're on your third 30 duty station. Yeah. So how was it? Because we know corpsmen typically go to a shore command after a school. It, and, it, you know, it kind of goes up and down or it goes in waves of operational versus shore duty after core school but mm-hmm. as a whole most people will do a blue side clinic or hospital yeah but you were different you yeah. went to an operational billet can you expound on how that looks different or maybe has changed your trajectory in the navy 
Yeah, I think it was great for me. I mean, uh, <clears throat> everyone's first experience should be something kind of exciting and cool. And unfortunately, if you get sent straight to a hospital where you're working third shift in a you know ward somewhere, it might not be the most pleasant uh, first experience. So I think it was great for me. Um, I guess you could say it was bad in the sense that I didn't get that uh, hands-on experience at first. Because everyone there would always tell me like, oh, you're missing out on you know, working in sick call and uh, doing like more hands-on patient care where the hospital ship, it was more uh, maintaining it before in case of a mission, uh, you know, deploying in like 72 hours. Um, so yeah, I, th I think it was good uh, for my career, but again, I missed out on some of that, you know, deeper hands-on patient care stuff whenever I first got out of A school. Um, so yeah, I guess there is it had a good and a bad to it, in that sense, but uh, yeah, I think it'd be great if Corman could just go straight to an operational bill after A school. Yeah, I have different uh, opinions. I, I mainly think going to a branch clinic, where you know you're going to be doing sick call, is a great first tour, mm -hmm. because doing sick call and having the hands-on patient care is like your your foundation as being a corpsman, but you also can look at going to a hospital ship or a greenside billet as positive because you got that operational out of the way early so that when you do make rank, you are seasoned in that aspect. Yeah. Versus someone like who I did two short commands and then went operational. So as a E5, E6, I'm mm. lacking experience in sea time deployments. Yeah. But I have that foundational skills as a corpsman. So it's more of a pros, cons. There's not really one better than the other. Mm -hmm. But you ended up doing patient care at some point because yeah. y'all went on most likely a humanitarian aid type mission. Yeah, yeah, we did We did a few missions and uh, like did the humanitarian aid thing. Um, there was a few stints where they sent us like TAD to the hospital. So, I mean, they tried their best to get me that hands-on patient care as a... That was like a sustainment yeah. before, before deployment? Yeah. Um, so you've been in for how long? Uh, ten. ten. Ten years in July. Right now and you're a... How, what rank are you? Uh, E5. E5. Do you think... I, I like to get into the rank versus time M argument. Do you think making... When did you make E5 actually? I made E5 at my five-year mark. So you've been at E5 for five years... Do you think you're already performing at E6 level? Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, right? Because if you're recommended for promotion, that means you're ready for the next level. It means you can perform at the E6 level. Okay, so... Because I, I made E6 at 7, and I feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Do you think making E6 now at, at 10 years in would be... Do you feel ready for that? That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends on the job, right? Like every E6 kind of does different things. Um, mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed being an LPO. I think I could definitely do that. But like being a career counselor, yeah, I'd probably be overwhelmed. Yeah. Because it's something I've never done. But uh, yeah, I, th I think I'm ready. So let's go back to, so you did a operation bill at your first tour. And then you went to a clinic, a clinic mm -hmm. after that. Do you felt like you're prepared going to a clinic? Because you went there at what rank? Uh, I went to the clinic as a third class. 
So sea duty, third class, got a warfare pan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should probably feel pretty prepared to go to a clinic and do whatever they need. Of yeah. You. Do you think you lacked that patient care? Because you said you didn't really get that going operational first. Yeah. But, I mean, when I got to the clinic, though, again, I got lucky. Uh, I feel like I've been lucky my whole career. So when I got to the clinic, I got sent to preventive medicine. And the only real patient care they do there is the STD clinic, which is pretty cool because I, as a... No one's going to say that's pretty cool. It was, it was pretty cool because it's not all STDs. You're the only one. It's not all STDs, right? <laughs> like, I would go around and uh, it was crazy. They, they would give me the keys to the gubby, right? You do a little trips ticket. I'm going out for the day. And then I would go out and test water, do food inspections, and uh, uh, mosquitoes. We would go and trap mosquitoes and bring them back and everything. So, again, not much patient care there, but I was still able to, uh, you know, perform really well and that I made E5 out of that uh, preventive medicine department and uh, yeah I had you know, I had a great time there and then the only patient care I really did was like it was kind of like a sit call thing where they just show up this is what's going on how long has it been going on okay uh, you know this is the treatment I'm going to give you and I would just run it by the department head who was there was only like four people that worked there so it was pretty small yeah so yeah I think that was good uh, as far as patient care um so do you think you got put in that role because you had some type of program management, maintenance from the C-duty? Mm, I think it was luck. Or just luck of yeah. manning because they needed a pre-med, even yeah. though you weren't pre-med? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pretty funny how we sometimes <coughs> get put in random roles like that. Yeah. And it but just, I'm a quad zero, you're a quad zero, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I, I had a great time there. So you made E5 at that command. Mm-hmm. Did you and you left? I know I know you from, I know kind of more about your history. But for the audience' sake, you left there as an LPO. Uh, I was I was t- I think on paper the ALPO, but I was performing the duty of an LPO. As an E five. As an E five, yeah. With six to eight years in. Yeah. And that, I mean, I feel like that's about right. I was doing the same thing at my second tour. I was an E five LPO, six seven years in. Yeah. Um. So the real, like, if, if, if we're going to talk about, like, growing pains, like, when I made E5, uh, I wasn't, uh, like, you, they, you're expected to know things as an E5 that you don't know unless somebody tells you or you look up and find out on your own. And so that was the only real growing pain I had there as a, when I made E5, um, it was just kind of like that, like, knowing how to, how to make a memorandum, how to, you know, put together a package and submit it. Just simple things like that that you don't know until you... You don't know unless you know. Um, so you're putting that role before knowing any of that? Uh, yes and no. So I learned that stuff before I got put in the LPO role. Okay. Yeah, I think this is where corpsmen are different because you're probably going to do majority of your first tour patient care or operational. You'll do whatever is asked of you in that aspect mm-hmm. but a lot of times once you make that E5 rank or been in for 6-8 years you're probably going to wind up in a LPO or ALPO role yep and not you're, seeing you're patients gonna, you're not going to be seeing patients yeah I mean we've been talking for 10 minutes and we haven't really touched patient care much yeah and I think that's why it's interesting to talk to 
many different corners because I could have another E5 come in here who's done nothing but patient care. Yeah. We have wildly different career paths. Okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I made E4 and then got put into like a work center soup role, then got put in the ALPO role just because of the timing of when the LPOs left. They mapped me to E5, and I was completely overwhelmed because I knew nothing but patient care up to that point. Mm-hmm. And at, I feel like either Corin figure it out and succeed, maybe even make more rank, or they kind of stagnate out and they kind of stick to their patient care roots. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot. Yeah. Where you have a heavily skilled patient care corpsman come to a, a new command with a pin on their chest and some some seasoning, you know. Yeah. They've been in for a minute. They've been operational. And then you put them in a leadership role and then they tank. Yeah. Why do you think that happens? Mm. I think it probably comes down to the individual, really. I mean, you should be able to do both. Do you think people are just not getting groomed in both aspects and just kind of stick singular to patient care or admin? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think it kind of comes down to the individual. Like, if you know that your job is not to take care of people, now your job is to take care of sailors, then it changes. Like, your job is different now. You're not doing patient care. You're doing LPO stuff, and you should learn that. So if the sailor is not learning it or not focusing on it, then it's just kind of on them, I think, you know? I agree with that. Because I've, um, pe- I've seen both sides where people, you know, are good at both. So, and then seen some that are only good at one or the other. Yeah. And I think that would come down to having a good leadership to say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Or, hey, I don't know how to LPO <laughs> or how to, For how real. To, yeah. how to do this. Absolutely. Because... In my case, I I had a good chain of command who taught me all that stuff because I you, like you said you don't know until you know. Yeah. And I had a lot of, I guess, learn as you go experiences. Mm-hmm. Where I was stationed at the time, we had a lot of people getting accepted, getting in trouble, so a lot of personal issues. Yeah. Which, it's kind of hard going from hey I'm going to do patient care I'm going to treat these patients to okay now I'm accountable for these people or these sailors and you got to learn a whole new skill set. Yeah. And where I want to go with this is you have people that go, they get into that leadership role and then they don't ever touch a patient for years. Yeah. And then me and you both are at the same command. We both came to this command as administrative roles and hadn't seen patients for years at a time. Yeah. And then we get thrown right into patient care. Yeah. Because at, at operational, I don't think rank really matters. As far as patient care? Absolutely not. I yeah. mean, I we were me and you both were doing patient care on a TAD, and I'm an E6 and you're an E5. And it's yeah. kind of what it is. It's, it's all, all hands on deck. Yeah. We had doctors doing stuff that Corman could be doing, you know? Yeah. I think just having that basic... Uh, underlying medical knowledge is probably mm-hmm. good enough. Um, as far as like specific, being good at like a specific thing, mm-hmm. you know, they should probably read into who you are and what you know and kind of look at where they're going to place you in that scenario. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so I want to move on from that and 
I have some questions going to ask you throughout this conversation. One of them is, okay, I want to go back to when you first joined, which is me and you've been in about the same time frame. I feel like it was a very different time as a brand new corpsman, which was around that 2013, 2014 time frame. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing as new accessions now, do you feel like they're at the same level as we are? Or do you think there is a generational gap that we are seeing today? I mean, we all know every generation is going to say they're not as, you know, blank as yeah. we were. And it's kind of like a continuous cycle. Yeah, I feel like that's what it is, honestly. You think people are just not thinking deeply enough into it? I think, it, yeah, I think it's probably, the, what is it, the rose-colored glasses? Like, mm-hmm. like, we were harder back then. Like, I, th- I think it's more that. I don't feel like we were at all. And I think there was a different mindset back then because... Corpsmen were coming out of combat, and it was a different type of military than we are now. Because now we're a lot of people are coming in, and including myself, have not seen yeah. a war or a conflict. So I don't think it's the the new generation of corpsmen. And I think they're I think they're probably smarter than we are. If anything, they're very good with technology. Yeah, but I do see a shift in how they react or interact with leadership the military rules yeah because that's what i had a lot of problems with as a new lpo was having to work with sailors who didn't respect rank or didn't care that the military says you can or cannot do this yeah and then what i'm getting at is like when i joined i was scared to even talk back to a third class as an e3 yeah i was terrified of my hm2 lpo and then these days, I feel like you don't the the respect for rank is not really there as much. True. Or is it something that we're not engaging in the right way with the newer guys? Yeah, I, th- I think it comes down to uh, their. I don't. I wouldn't say boot camp, but their first command. What sets the tone after boot camp? Mm-hmm. Maybe a school. I don't know how how it is. I think uh, a school is always going to be the same. Yeah, they're so pretty I, I, strict. If anything, they're they're strict, more strict than boot camp. It seems like. Yeah, and I would say too, it's probably an accessibility <laughs> thing, right? Like if if you're uh, you know on your phone all the time and you see uh, people that are of these higher ranks, it kind of breaks that barrier and it makes them less. Uh, I don't want to say afraid, but it it kind of breaks the uh, fa- not facade. It, it it basically all I'm saying is that the being on their phones and everyone being on social media and everything is probably breaking down that barrier of like, oh, they're just a normal person. They're not scary. You know, something like that. You think we there's just more information out there now than before? I think so, yeah. I think that could be playing a part in it. I, I know for a fact when I joined, you didn't really have information about boot camp, A-school, commands. You didn't have that on the internet, but nowadays people can... Before they even join, they can know everything about a corpsman. Yep. Because of Reddit, Facebook, podcasts. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's part of the differentiation of corpsman coming in now. And you can say that about any sailor, really, versus yeah. when we joined or even prior to that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, what do they always say? Like the military is just a reflection of society at large. So, I think it's of course, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think it's more or less what's going on out in the world that's bleeding in. I think we have to do a better job of engaging with, because if they're not, if they don't respect you as a person, that's a personal problem. But if they don't respect you as a rank or your position, maybe we're not engaging the right way. Yeah. If they're always on the phones, why don't we try to interact with them more with technology than with the traditional ways of the military? Yeah. I think stuff like Reddit and podcasts are, are more in line with how they you know, interact with each other. Yeah, you TikToks. Think, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't stand TikTok. <laughs> yeah, me either. I don't like it. I'm not much of a social media person. Yeah. But I feel like social media is where you have to engage with them. Yeah. Every every newcomer I see, they're always on their phone and on different types of social media. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you stay on track. You did operational duty, then went to a clinic. I would say that's a pretty seasoned corpsman as far as scope of skill. Mm-hmm. And then you came to where we are now, which is a greenside uh, unit. I will say that we're not division, and we'll leave it at that. How is your time as a corpsman with a skill or experience that you had, how has your time been at your first greenside billet? Um, it's been great, actually. Uh, again, I feel really lucky. My whole career, I've had nothing but great jobs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love it here. I mean, it's... Uh, I'm not a huge fan of patient care, so that's a plus. I'm not seeing patients every day. Um, I mean, I'll do it if I have to, but uh, I'd hope so. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, may be we may be out the door tomorrow, and we, we may be doing patient care. Yeah, yeah, maybe I can look out and get in records or admin or something. I mean, everyone, every medical unit has to have some sort of administration. So I believe our last TAD together, we were admin. Right? Admin, yeah, we killed it. My last field op, I was. Uh, admin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. You were yeah, doing I, you were doing med reg, right? Med reg. Yeah. Yeah, I want to get I want to get into the I guess nitty gritty of what we do at this greenside billet. But yeah, sorry I cut you off. Um, but no, no, it's been great. I mean, I love it. Uh, I get to hone my administration skills, which is what is expected of an E five, trying to be an E six, and then uh, yeah, you know, every now and then I get to do something cool like go to the field or you know. TAD or uh, a little mission like we did when I first checked in. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's where we first met. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so checked in and uh, two days later I got sent on a, a little mission for a couple months. So that was pretty cool. So nothing but great things to say. Do you think coming here, your experience helped you integrate well? Or is it a whole different experience going greenside than a operational billet or a clinic um so you mean how did i integrate into the green side yeah so has your experience helped you with the skill set needed to perform here oh um i I don't know it's pretty unique here i don't maybe being uh administration savvy could help before coming here there's definitely nothing I've done from the ship and nothing I've done from the clinic has bled over here really, except for like maybe testing water, but I don't even do that here. Yeah, so, we usually have the PMTs check the water or yeah. the field. Yeah, so not really. There's not much that prepped me or 
bled over into this command? I feel the same way. I don't think I'm carrying over any skills from my previous duty stations yeah. into here. Because everything was just completely new. Yeah. And it kind of goes, it kind of makes you question, does experience really matter though? Yeah. Unless you've been greenside at this platform or a similar platform, you're really learning new stuff. Every time. me and you have both worked some administrative jobs that, you know, carry over from duty station to duty station. Yeah, some stuff would bleed over. So, yeah, I take that back. So uh, I did um, career counseling departmental in my last command. And then here I was able to carry that on and keep doing that. So that was kind of, I mean, and then like some of the collaterals bleed over, I guess, but not as far as like the Yeah, every command is going to have the same collateral list. Yeah. The same programs they get to run, training, career counseling, qualifications. Yeah. That type of stuff. They say like the Navy runs on collaterals. Yeah, I don't think so. Every command has to have a PRT. That's true. You have to do CDBs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, CDBs. Always a hit list. Yeah, I don't don't think my medical skills helped at all coming here. Yeah, not me either. I think what was the most, the steepest learning curve was the field aspect of what we do. Setting up the tents and... You know, setting up uh, that echelon of care that we perform. Yeah. And the medical part was just, you know, we, we, should, we, we come here established or expected to have already know to have already known the medical skill set needed. And really what people are learning is the field aspect of it. Yeah. And then in between that, you're getting tasked out to different missions or exercises or medical coverages. Things like that. Yeah. So you were a career counselor at your second duty station, you mm-hmm. said? Yep. How was your experience with that? How'd you like it? Um, it, it was okay. It wasn't the most involved. I had uh, a bunch of really junior sailors, so it wasn't like separations or anything like that. It was mainly CDBs, first-term success. Yeah, your department uh, division, you're really just doing, you're just tracking packages and yeah. submitting CDBs and stuff. I, I did get to work on, uh, we got somebody a golden ticket. I think that's what the program was called. Where they get to get out. Yeah, there's a golden silver ticket. Yeah, she got to get out early. And then uh, another sailor I helped with his uh, academy package. And he got in. That was pretty cool. That was about the most involved thing I did. Yeah, I, 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 with career counseling, it's always, it's fulfilling. It's a very fulfilling job to see people get accepted for whatever they're trying to apply for. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about, you know, the three places you've been. Uh, I want to hear some stories. Uh, you got any cool stuff you want to talk about your time on that hospital ship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, when I checked in, um, I had to live on board for three months because uh, when, when you're on the ship, you know, you don't really get a barracks room. You have to live on the ship because you have a rack and you have a shower and everything you need to live. So that was like... Yeah, but uh, do you get made fun of? For living on it? I mean, like, I, I feel like if you told this story to the Hayes Gray guys, yeah, you're probably going to catch some flack. Oh, yeah, the gray, gray side, gray, the Gray Halls, the, the, they got it bad. I mean, I had a great, that was like, I had a great value ship experience because it was so so nice. I, don't, I feel like, is are there many people that are going to say, uh, I love 
time on the ship and I love living on the ship. No, I didn't love living on the ship. <laughs> no, I didn't love uh, living there. It, it was pretty... I, I think that's more accurate. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty lonely. I mean, does anybody really want to live on a rack, you know? Uh, and then we three months after I checked in, we went on a mission for six months, so... Um, yeah, I don't want to give away the location of your mission. I, I know me and you've talked to, you know, previously, but how was it traveling to different countries? Oh, it was amazing. Get, I mean, how many port... I mean, were you stopping pretty often? Yeah, stopping to, pretty often and... Uh, Getting to leave leave the ship, uh, to we got liberty. So I mean, it, it was pretty pretty nice in that way. Um, yeah. So as far as uh, the mission itself, we could kind of get into what that was. Sure. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, so you know, everyone knows the hospital ships. They do humanitarian aid. So this was like a, a scheduled thing. This wasn't like response to something mm-hmm. that was you know catastrophic so uh, the patients were generally pretty happy and no one was that serious there wasn't that much pressure patient care wise so you're just going to routine type things yeah. and and they know you're coming mm-hmm. yeah so there's no hostility no, really no they were all super friendly great great people patients everything they were very appreciative were y'all just like dropping in and doing like sick call or were you dropping in to perform stuff that their local hospitals couldn't do? Both. If they even have that. Yeah, both. That, that was the big thing is that we could do all this great stuff for them, but the follow-on care they would need probably couldn't be supported. Yeah, um, that's my first question is like yeah. if you provide some type of care, some type of humanitarian aid, will they be able to continue that care once you leave? That's what they were really big on was making sure that if they do something, can they take care of it because it could make them worse off you know if they get an infection or something yeah they can't get antibiotics so um yeah it was, it was pretty routine stuff that they could send them on their way after a few days and give them some medication and they'd be good but uh yeah it was it was really good uh there was one that really stood out was this guy I, it wasn't even anything major he had like a hernia repair yeah uh but he he got to bring his son on board um because you know the patients could bring a plus one they could bring somebody with them. And this kid, he, he must have been a teenager, but he couldn't really speak English that well. Mm-hmm. And he thought we performed a miracle. Really? He thought we were like, yeah, he thought we were like awesome. He, he was so, he was like cry, crying. I was, I was helping his dad to the bathroom. Um, and it was just a hernia repair. Like his dad wasn't that sick. I think he just had some like discomfort when he was lifting or doing something. Yeah. He had lived with it for years. And uh, when I helped his dad in the bathroom and brought him back, this kid was with tears in his eyes. He was like, uh, thank you. Uh, y'all are angels. And he was like, so appreciative. And, uh, yeah, that really stood out. That was like probably the highlight. So where, where'd you work on the ship? Uh, nursing services. So you're a ward. Yeah. Ward. Post-op and yeah. whatever type of MSW. Yeah, I was in post-op. Work. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you, you knew that prior to some of the yeah. stuff you did here. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get in that in a minute. Okay, so you did you did one deployment out of the TAH? Uh, two. Two different ones? Yeah. Were like similar locations or different? Um, so my second real mission, because we did a bunch of activations where we, if something happens or could happen, we go out and preposition in case... Like an earthquake or... Yeah, so we will volcano. go out and get ready and if the call comes, then we go and if not, then we go back support or you know so you activated a few times yeah we activated a bunch of times but only got to go on two uh real missions the second one was actually a disaster response 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was well, not cool. Not cool for was, them. It was cool. It was cool for us to actually get to do one of our missions. Um, so yeah, that one was a bit more uh, stressful and high stakes because the people, the people that were coming on board, were not uh, okay. Not stable. Uh, some of them were stable. Some of them were not. Um, uh, yeah, so that that was a bit more stressful. By that point, I was already. <clears throat> seasoned enough I think uh, medically that uh, I wasn't nervous around the patients and knew what I was doing and mm-hmm. uh, by that point I was kind of the subject matter expert for the ward so I was more uh, in an administration uh, position as a third class I was taking care of you know the ship and liaisoning between the crew that comes on board to do the medical work with the civilians that run the ship so uh you know, maintaining all the equipment and keeping track. So that was kind of cool. I got to. Now, when you would activate, you would have a lot of people augment from a, a different entity, right? Yeah. So there, was there a lot of training to be had? For. Or do they do, would, would they be trained up prior to going on a deployment? It's just hit or miss. Some people would drop out or not be able to go. So they have to pull somebody else who had no idea. People were getting told the night before they were going to go. So, I mean... So, a ship's company, you're... When you're not actively engaged, you're probably training other corpsmen to work in that... Yeah. ...department that you work in? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, it's a constant just like a workup? Yeah, pretty much. Um, to be I, ready to go at any time? Yeah. They, they would do, like, uh, trainings and bring everyone on board to get familiar with the ship and... Uh, learn different pieces about it. You take pride in that surface warfare, Tim? Oh, yes, I do. Absolutely. Yeah, even though you get a lot of flack from it. Oh, I do, and I don't care. I think it's hilarious. That it you, is. You, you get flustered when people... People make fun of my pen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't get flustered. Oh, yeah, you get flustered. I mean, it doesn't say... You, com- try not, you try to hide it, but you get flustered. It doesn't say anything that would take away from the pen or anything, so... Would you confidently tell a Hayes Gray guy, yeah, I got this on... The hospital ship? Uh, I would. Actually, this is one of, probably one of the, the rarest pins in the Navy. Whoa, that's a statement. Yeah. I would there's tell, only, I would only, brag about it to everybody. There's only if two I was of them, you. And there's only so many ships company, and so many people are going to qualify. Because, you know, there's yeah, that time on board requirement. Yeah, like yeah, so, six months or so. Yeah, there's not that many of them. Mm, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay, so if you say you talked about working in the ward which is very similar to what we do greenside. So your skill set should have carried over. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the ward stuff, I mean, pretty universal, it carried over. Yeah, um, but there's a lot of corner that never touched a ward. Never worked on a, I, I never worked on a ward. So I wouldn't know the first thing about doing nursing care. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes not that glamorous. No. Wiping butts and yeah, stuff. Yeah, wiping butts. Yeah. Pee, <laughs> pee and poop. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my time in the ER, we don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Well, we didn't have to deal with that as much. And if we did, we probably, you, you probably dealt with it before we did, after we transferred the patients. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So at, at our current command, we do rotations through a hospital where we maintain our clinical skills. Me and you were in the same platoon at the time. I went to the ER and you went to where? Nurse, uh, med surge ward. You went to a med surge ward. Yeah. Now, go touching back about how me and you 
came to this command with no medical or no patient care within the last few years. Yes. And we get here and all we do is kind of some field op stuff, some some responses and stuff like that. But after everything settled down, we got into that kind of workup phase where we did our clinical sustainment. Yeah. And then we got thrown right into patient care after not doing any patient care. Yeah. That was, was that kind of a, a rough patch having to go back to your roots? Yes. Or do you think, was there some ego to it? Oh, I, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of ego to be, uh, a lot of people are going to get hit on their ego when they have to be told, hey, you're doing patient care and you're going to report to that E4 that runs the floor. Yep, that's exactly what happened. So you're an E5, you had probably an HM3 telling you what to do every day? Sometimes an HM3, sometimes it was HN, yeah. HN, okay. Yep, yep. I, I, I laugh, but I had a... I went to the ER yeah. and I was told you're a four corpsman with no PQS. So yeah. when that HN or HM3 tells you what to do, you're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, and that didn't really bother me much because everyone there was pretty pretty cool. There was no one like power tripping, I guess. Um, I had a different m- experience. Oh, you had um, the ER is always big egos. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, th- I think it comes with the experience because you're dealing with some, the I cool, guess, cool guys. They're not cool. ER ER thinks they're cool. Yeah. What I what I found out was there was yeah, there's some power tripping going on, mainly probably because they knew I was an E six. Yeah. I had a hard time going there and getting told what to do. Mainly because I, I could probably figure out how to run the floor within a couple of weeks. Yeah. Cause it, I mean clinic, ward ER floor, whatever, it's pretty standard across the board on how to manage that as a leadership aspect. Mm-hmm. But where I, where where I suffered the most was patient care. Yeah, I was having I was getting laughed at it by the HNs and HM3s about how I can't do IVs. Yeah, because those skills are perishable. Yeah, that that changed my whole mindset when it came to why are we so hungry to go into leadership roles. Mm, yeah, I I have a pretty heavy opinion about E five should probably stick, and even into E six, I think we should stick into patient care a little bit more, because what I've seen and what have I what I experienced was people try to get into the administrative role too quick, mm-hmm. and they forget about the patient care, and then you never know when you're going to get thrown back in. Yeah, because what if we went out the door tomorrow and they expected me and you to do IVs and all these hand hands-on skills that are perishable. Yeah. That'd be bad. That'd be bad. It, yeah. it could be bad if we haven't done it. Yeah. So why not, why not have us maintain those clinical skills more often? I feel, I feel like we got set up for failure in that aspect. Yeah. Um, and I think that would come down to, again, playing on somebody's past experience. Like, Mm-hmm. The, the Navy hasn't required me to do a whole lot of patient care. So I, I don't want to say there should be like a... But you're a corpsman. You, you, but I am a corpsman. You're a corpsman. But yeah. So I, again, I, I, uh, how do you, you want to say that? I, I don't think everyone should have a deep, deep uh, skill set in the medical stuff because there's so much administration that goes on behind the scenes and other programs in the med- medical field that are... Uh, have to happen I mean somebody had to take care of the ship somebody had to collect the mosquitoes 
you know, somebody has to do all these things. And, someone uh, has to do patient care. And someone has to do patient care. So, uh, again, I, I left there as a very uh, wide scoped corpsman. I knew I knew I, I went back to my roots to patient care. Yeah. Uh, I know how to take a pa- I know how to take care of a patient. I know how to do sick call, but when it comes to the hands-on procedures and stuff like that, yeah, yeah, so it's my, a hard skill to keep without doing it every day. True. Yeah, I, I didn't really get that much out of my time at the hospital. Do you? Did you have to do a lot of steep learning when it came to the hands-on stuff, or do you mm. think you maintained that? Well, the place I was working at didn't really have a lot of procedures going on. It didn't have a lot of... Because uh, nursing services is more... You're just sustaining, keeping the patient happy, really. Because everything's already done. The ER's already patched them up, and they're really All just... All the procedures are probably already done or in yep, place. They already have just IVs. monitoring and... Just monitor vitals. Vitals. Food, water, bathroom. That's it. I felt like there's a lot of medical knowledge that gets data dumped. When you don't do patient care every day. Yeah. Like I had to do a PQS for the ER and it was tough to relearn some stuff when my head's full of, you know, my actual job at this command, but Mm -hmm. I'm sidelined for X amount of months to go work in the ER. Now I have to like, hopefully not data dump my actual job and now learn this new knowledge, which shouldn't be new. That was pretty frustrating. I had a very frustrating time with that, and it wasn't, it wasn't frustrated towards anybody but myself because I'm like I, I think we should always be able to jump back into patient care if we had to. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of us would have a tough go at it for the first couple rounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't think I'm unique in that aspect of I'm an E6 that doesn't do much patient care. I think that's probably standard. I don't know very many E6s from my past commands that are still in patient care. Except for techs. Techs, yeah. Techs get to maintain their skills far longer than... But you also see a lot of techs archived in NEC once they make chief. Every LPO I've ever had has been a tech that doesn't tech anymore. They just LPO. So... Yeah. I don't know if that proves our point or takes away from it. Yeah, I don't know. I like talking about this because it's... You kind of you can go both ways with it. I like to hear other people's opinion on the matter. I think we should be doing more patient care. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I think it would be cool if they did something like kind of like how they have the uh, in the Marine Corps they have the administrative and command. Oh, you're about to get me on a tangent. Oh. Yeah, I I think we should be doing that. Maybe we should do that since we're all right. So to be clear, the, the Marine Corps at E8 splits into administrative or technical skill. So you can either go, you know, first sergeant route and be a, you know, just administrative personnel, or you can maintain master sergeant and go and maintain your clinical skills and be in charge of, not clinical skills, your tech, technical expertise, as they call it. I think Corman should be able to do that at E5. That'd be great. I think it'd be great because... Me and you both have similar experiences where we got put into administrative roles early on versus later. Yeah. And then there wouldn't be so much uh, pressure to try and be the best at both. Just pick one and be great at it. Yeah. I I love career counseling. And I want to do nothing but career counseling. Career counseling. Yeah. 
I enjoy that aspect. Or give me another program to manage. You know, I, I like doing that stuff. That doesn't mean I'm less of a corpsman. It's just there are certain jobs that have to be done, like you said, yeah. in our community. And it's kind of hard to be a corpsman and a program manager of whatever program you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we should... I would love to see a... I've also thought about it this way. What if what if I want to maintain patient care, but I should be able to get paid more because I'm the expert on that floor? Paid more. Right? Well, if I want to get paid more, I got to get promoted. If I get promoted, I'm probably going to get put into some higher position. Mm, yeah. But what if I'm just really good at being a MSW corpsman? Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I don't think that would could ever. Really I don't think it would ever work. Could never work. Yeah. But if you want to get paid more in the civilian sector, you ask for a raise. Yeah. But because you're because you are making more money than I am, but I'm in a positional authority above you. Yeah. What What does it matter? You know. Yeah. Why can't there be steps at every rank when it comes to pay? I'm not talking about the, you know, the the scheduled time and service bumps. Yeah. I'm talking about let's give this guy more money because I've had corpsmen who were like, I want to do patient care. That's all I want to do. But mm-hmm. they're very good at it. But they also want to make rank. Yeah. Okay, I want to move forward and I want to talk about that FMF pin. What's your thoughts on it? I love it. It's required. What's your thoughts on it? Um, uh, uh, I mean, it's a requirement, yeah. I mean, I feel like I earned it. Um, I wish it was more... Uh, I mean, there's not really a way to have it hands-on, right, other than, like, the prac apps and going out and seeing the stuff. Uh, like, on the ship, you had to go to these specific subject matter experts, and you had to see things being done and do them, uh, you know, fire control and lines and, you know, all, all these different things. But the, with the pen, it's more uh, uh, academic, the FMF pen. I think it depends on the platform, but yeah, there is a lot of memorization, mm-hmm. and not everyone gets to go to the field often. Yeah. So because if you go to the field and attach to a different unit, you're going to understand how LCE works, right? Yeah. Whereas GCE, you're in the field all the time, and you're living what you're learning. Yeah. For the most part. I think with us, it's very difficult for people to actually understand what they're talking about. Yeah. What was your experience? Walk me through your process of getting the pen so that people that may not have an FMF, FMF pen can understand what to expect. Um, At least for our platform, I guess. Yeah. You get a book and you have to learn that book. And then... Uh, you make it sound it has, so exciting. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind Nobody of... Nobody wants to read a book. Yeah, it, it is a book you have to learn, so it's not fun in that way. Uh, but, I mean, we got to do the prac apps with the weapons and the comms and TCCC. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess that was kind of cool to do those parts. Um, I, I don't think the pen should be a requirement, though, because um, so many people don't want to do it. Maybe they don't want to stay in the Navy, and that would give the people who do want it and do want to stay in. I think that's the majority of the 
of people's opinion is that yeah. it shouldn't be required. So I don't know who makes that decision, but there's obviously a reason why they made it required. Yeah. Or it wouldn't be a requirement, right? And we may not know that reason because of, you know, we're pretty low on the totem pole. Yeah. And that I'm fine with that. But because it's required, we have to get it, right? Yeah. I feel like that comes with a negative, some negative side effects, specifically forcing people to get it. Yeah. Right? Or else, you know, or, hey, you're going to get that pace 13, or you're going to get that significant problems evaluation and people are all scared about that and then you may also hear stuff about you're going to lose your benefits and or some some scare tactics in that yeah I don't think it should be like that I think it should be I, I want to get it because it's there or because it's hard yeah and it would give the people who do want it it would make the uh, everyone more enthusiastic and uh, I think it, yeah, it would definitely be better. Um, cause yeah, I mean, sitting down and memorizing the whole book and then somebody quizzing you on the entire book, you know, and you're, you're repeating it back to them. That takes a lot of, uh, determination. And if you don't want to do it, it's, it's not probably not going to happen. A lot of people don't see that it benefits them at all. Yeah. I think there's plenty of benefit to get it if you're staying in yeah if you're getting out i've encouraged people to do whatever they want just know that there are consequences of not getting it yeah that's the way i word it to them so that it's not like hey do this or else kind of yeah. thing because i think that just makes them dig deeper roots into not getting it yep i've also seen people where you know they're like adamant at not getting it and then they the navy offered them something they wanted and then they turned around and went and got it yeah Saw that pretty recently. So you said there's a book. Uh, what else do you do after you, you said you talked about PQS? Yeah, yeah. After you get the book. You learn it. Uh, people sign off on it when they quiz you on it. Um, specific sections to make sure that you know it. They give you a signature when your book's all signed off. You get to do a board um, where people sit down and quiz you on the book. And you have to pretty much repeat the entire book back. Uh yeah, so it's it's pretty pretty involved. It's a uh, it's a lot of information. Which it was similar with my surface pen. We did the same thing, but what's it, the difference between the surface and the FMF pen? Um, for, not the information, but the yeah. process of getting it. Well, with the surface you had to again get go see these subject matter experts in these specific areas of the book, and they could only sign off on that section because that was their section. Like the bosun's mates or the ITs or something. Yeah, but with our platform, we don't have that really. Yeah. yeah. I thought about changing it to where we have designated people who are very well versed in those areas. Mm-hmm. Be the people that sign off on it. That's probably something we are going to change. Yeah. Because I think that would make it a better program because then you know who to go to. And then you also know... Well, you know who to go to if there was anything to go wrong or if someone didn't know the information to yeah. the fullest. Um, but you would have people getting the same standard information that is required to know mm-hmm. if you had one person signing off in this one section. Yeah. I think that's pr- I think that's where we're really missing it with the FMF pen. That'd be a full-time job. Yeah, but I mean, you only need so many yeah. people. And... 
one person could be in charge of multiple sections. True. Since it's not like a ship where, hey, I work in this section. This is my section. Yeah. It's more like, hey, I really am well-versed in this because I worked with, you know, I worked with that unit. Mm. Or I've been in the field X amount of times and I've, I've hands-on done this. I think yeah. that would improve our program. So you, so you do a PQS and then uh, talk about, I think as everyone always gets all weird about the murder board, which is actually called a mock board. Yeah. Nowhere in any instruction does it say murder board, but everyone's always called it that. Yeah. You think it's because it's supposed to be a scary, tough uh, time? It's like, just really hard and you feel like you've been murdered afterwards because uh, you just feel dumb. Funny. You just feel dumb and drained after, I feel, after yeah, the Yeah, I would say mentally drained. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think I'll ever forget mine. I don't think anybody's ever going to forget their murder board on any platform. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be arduous, you know? Yeah. And if it ain't arduous, then are you really meeting that standard? Yeah. So after you do your murder board... To, oh, actually, I want to hear... What's your experience with the murder board? How was it? For my FMF pin? Yep, FMF pin. Um... It felt pretty rough. I I thought I failed, and then you, apparently I did pretty decent. I still have my notes from the murder board. I saved it. Well, how many murder boards did you do? Uh, we did two, right? Yeah, we did two. Yeah, we did two. Yeah, the first one was terrible. We did it in the field, and I was freezing. I think that was appropriate, though. Yeah, I failed that one horribly. It made you physically uncomfortable as well as mentally draining you. Yeah, so that was no good. Uh, the second one was good though. That was actually, you know, back in. An office with chairs and... Comfortable. Comfortable, yeah. Compared snacks. to the first. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was definitely better. Um, yeah. I can't remember. You did it in one go, right? I don't remember. See, I, I've... Now, being in the position I'm at, I've seen where people will do 13 hours straight and do the whole thing in one go. Mm. Or however many hours it takes to get to that. Yeah. I've also seen where people break it up. Yeah. Which I think is cheating. I think that's cheating. Yeah. I mean, it is, but nobody wants to be at work for 13 hours. I beg to differ. I I, I think that's cheating. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to be lenient on that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is, but... Like it, the only times I think it's appropriate to cut off and start again the next day is if you have prior engagements. Yeah. But that leads to, hey, don't schedule whatever you got yeah. on the day of your murder board. Now, if it's childcare issues, obviously cut yeah. them loose with ample time to get past or get, get things done. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of breaking it up. So that's why we try to start super early in the day. I'd rather come in early than stay late. I would. Yeah. So I'd, I'd try my best to start early, but if they don't know their stuff, it's going to take all day. What I've learned is everybody's had a different experience. And I've talked to from the lowest rank all the way up to Chiefs where people have said, oh, mine was two days long. Like, yeah. What? Okay, well, explain what two days long mean. Like you did core one day, LC the next? Yeah. Or did you literally do two 12-plus hour days of just getting murder boarded? And if it takes that long, what are you actually talking about? Yeah. The book ain't that big. Yeah. Like I really don't see how people could go – that long I think a one I think one 12 12 to 14 hours would be the longest one day yeah just make them sit there until they remember well yeah you gotta well let's not get ahead 
so you, you get the PQS murder board, and then after a murder board, what is next? Uh, then you go do the final board, which is the the actual, that's the only real board you do. That's the final board. Yes. And that's with the Chiefs, uh, which, you know, or not, not even with the Chiefs, it's just with... No, it's by the book, it's with the Chief yeah. and four other board members. Yeah, typically higher ranking, um, and... Uh, they just ask you a couple of questions. It's real easy. It's nothing, nowhere near as bad as the murder board. Um, and then that's your final uh, final board. You're done. You're done. Did you get pinned at your final board or did you have to wait? I had to wait. How long? I don't remember. They must not have been long. Maybe it was a week or two. I can't remember. Yeah, probably because I pushed your stuff up quick. Yeah, it was a couple weeks. Maybe a week. Yeah, I've seen at our specific command... People had to wait a long time. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the people getting pinned under their pocket flap? I've seen that happening lately. Yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It gives them something. That is something that we we do here. Yeah. At least I think that I think that's important. I think that's probably the important most important part of the final board, because if we make you do all these things to get the pin, and then we say, "Cool, good job," and kick them out the you know the board. And they walk out with nothing. I mean, they get pinned. Yeah, f- weeks after. In front of a because formation. it takes because it takes forever for you yeah. know paperwork to get pushed up and signed, and that's just part of the process. We could this could uh, be the same thing said about uh, the exam. Oh, oh, the advancement exam. What about that? Waiting months and months and. There's got to be a reason why it takes that long. For yeah, I, I, can't, I mean, I'm sure there's some... Ex- but why in the world are we not electronic yet? Yeah. I was going to say, with Excel is pretty cool. I think it could probably hammer out this problem in a short order. You're pro- you probably... You think you sound correct, but there's probably some... Yeah, I know. I'm probably there's probably something. some, I don't know, equipment or software that has to go through. Plus, they have, I mean, there's rumors of... I've been told where you had to weed out some questions. And yeah, yeah. There's a lot of time-consuming stuff, I think. I'm trying to be optimistic here. I, I think it is crazy that we wait that long for... Just the anxiety. Just, yeah. Waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some stuff takes a while to grade. I mean, how long do you wait for your ACT and SAT scores? A month? I have no idea. I remember it being time. I remember it being a while to wait to yeah. get to see what you scored and you get it in the mail. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, barbaric in, yeah. a, in a day of... I don't know what it is nowadays, though. Yeah. I recently just took the GRE, and, and I got the score the moment I clicked, you know, submit. And that's for, you know, a graduate-level college wow. entry. So why, you know, maybe, maybe we could get into some type of electronic form for an advancement exam. That would be a lot better. Um, just so you know that day, kind of like you're saying with the pen... You get something that day. like That's what I think it should. Yeah, going back to the pen. I think walking out with a pen, even if it's just a hidden pen in your pocket flap. Yeah. Or even if it's I just shook your hand and gave you a pen to put in your pocket for your actual pinning. Mm-hmm. I think that would be pretty cool. It is cool. I don't think there's anything against it either. I mean... No one's going to get mad about that. No. As long as you're not walking around flapping that thing in, in yeah. the air. Flashing your pen. Or flashing something. your pen. You're just asking for trouble. Yeah. But at least you know, hey, I'm done. I just got to wait for them to officially pin me. And then there's no... Then they're not sitting there going, hey, where's my cert? Where's my cert? True. 
yeah, it gives them something to kind of feel good about. And whenever you go to do the pinning, no one's scrambling looking for a pin. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll move forward again. I think that kind of, you know, puts it in a nutshell what the FMF process is. And ultimately, I think it's important to know that every command is going to do it differently. And every different qualification you experience is going to be different. Yeah. Pretty much, it's a very subjective process in every aspect. Okay, so uh, moving on, what is what's your plans with the, with the with the Navy? You trying to you trying to do that twenty get that pension, like a lot of us are trying to do, or you trying to get out because I don't know you hate the Navy or you got better things planned outside. Mm, no, I want to stay in. Uh, like I said, I've had pretty good luck with the Navy so far. I'd like to stay in. Try and make that E6. You know, it's hard. That retirement, that retirement of break. Yeah, yeah, or maybe be a chief. Who knows? Um, it's, it's it's a good job. I mean, I know everyone like likes to complain about you know different things, and um, we we all got our gripes. Yeah. yeah, everyone's got gripes, but at the end of the day, like we get paid and uh, we have the benefits. You know, I got three dependents. <laughs> yeah, three same. dependents, and uh, yeah, I mean the pay isn't terrible. I mean, it could be better out in the you know real world, but. Would it though? You're quad zero. I heard it. I, hear, I always hear that there's like is all these jobs out there making all this no, money. No, there's not. It. Yeah. Go look at what your compensation is on the the government calculator that we have. On yeah. Defense pay.gov or whatever. Like it as an E six, it tells me I need to make seventy five thousand dollars gross. Yeah. That's wild. I don't. If I didn't have a degree, an applicable degree. I'm not getting a job that's worth seventy five thousand. Yeah, seventy five thousand is like a GS nine or up, and to have a GS nine, you usually have to have a bachelor's or master's. Yeah, nine, ten, eleven, whatever. So okay, let's I, I, let's dive into that. You you want to be you want to make E six. You've been in ten years. You want to do twenty. Yeah. Why why aren't you in E six yet? Mm, I don't know. Plenty of people make it prior to ten. Plenty do, more people make it. Do they after fifteen? I think it's pretty rare making E6 before 10 no. as a corpsman. You think so? Yeah. Well, I'll be a minority in that. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think so. If you look at the, uh, the what is it, the Manning snapshot in uh, my yeah. Navy HR? Yep. It's, I think on paper, maybe some do, but a majority do not make it in 10 years. I would agree with a lot more people make it after 10. Yeah. I don't know the exact numbers right now, but... I, I mean, I can tell at our command alone, we have tons of... Yeah. E5 looking at HYT, tons of e- E5s over 10. I will agree with that. Okay, so the if you go online, there's a lot of information saying don't go Corman because advancement rate sucks. You know, it, people think that no way going to make a rank. What's your thoughts on that? Because you're you're literally in that zone. You're you're an E5 trying yep. to make E6 so you can retire. You're at 10 years. Yeah. You've done half of a 20 year career. Yeah. You got to be better. Six years to make E six. Yeah, you just got to try. You know, that's all you can do. Oh, that's a that's a that's a terrible answer. Just got to try. Do you think the good. Navy's not? You, you, is there a systemic flaw that is keeping people from making E six? Um, no, I mean I wouldn't say that. I was just uh, there's so many of us that we can't all make it right. So only the best are going to get promoted, and that's not true. 
Okay, on with, okay, that's how it should work. In theory, in the, theory best the, the best should get promoted. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you just gotta check the boxes and play the game and do you try think to be we, your best. And, okay, I, I like you said play the game. Do you think that should be a necessary, an evil necessary, evil necessity in our community? Yeah, I mean, I hate. No, I mean, no one likes it, but it's. Uh, it is how it is. What you gotta because do. that's how the evil. Yeah. Is written. Yep. That's it. I mean, if you are doing stuff for the right reasons, I mean, it shouldn't be an evil thing. What if you're doing the right things, but then check into a command greater than 90 days from your first evaluation? So you check in November 15 yeah. at your next command, and you get rated with the whole group. But you did everything right. And this next test is going to be the one where you make it. Yeah. Granted, you will at least get to take that March exam without a that new eval because it comes out after your March exam. What I would do is extend on board the previous duty station. Do you think that's a reason to extend on board? You have to have a reason to extend. You could... You could request a PRD adjustment. Yeah. You could. You have to, You need a good reason for the ECM to do that. To allow you to do that. What I'm saying is, I think it's timing. Yeah. I think timing is the the pinpoint reason why E5s aren't making E6. True. I mean, some, I, some of them just don't try. Okay, you can always say half the population is not going to make it because half the population is not top performers. Yeah. Right? But of the people who are trying, timing is probably the biggest thing I've seen. And it was the only reason I made it. Yeah, I did. I did. I played the game like you said, right? I did everything I needed to do and was good at my job. Got the evaluations I needed to mathematically pick up E six, and I waited till after December fifteenth to check in, mm. so that I get a not observe, which gave me three tries at E six with my current evaluations. Interesting. Now, if I would have checked in. Before December 15th, I already got one try. Yeah. So timing is very crucial. So what can we do to... Uh, what can we do? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Hope for try some change. Extend, try and extend on board. Kind of. Maybe maybe when we're a potential master chief, we can yeah. talk some... some, Put something in somebody's ear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have... We can just sit here and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is sad, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Let's talk about, like, why do you th- has timing inhibited you from making up E6? I made Maybe. a statement saying timing is critical. Has it been critical for you? Uh, I think if I had stayed at my last command a bit longer, I probably could have made first out of there. Um, what, off map? Either map or the exam. Um, yeah. You know, but... Again, I I wasn't the top performer there, but uh, I wasn't at mine. But you know, you just need to be like top twenty, top ten to get a decent evaluation. If yeah. you're, it depends on the the group. I had a hundred people at my second command. Yeah. E five. So top ten gave you a high four something trade average. Yeah. Because so, it has to be with that many people. Yeah, I mean, maybe timing was an issue, but. I mean, I was there for three years, and I made E five. I got mapped E five out of there, so like. So you're saying you're doing you're doing the right stuff. Yeah. What are you, what are your chances going forward from here? You're ten years in. Mm. 
you had you're about to get your next eval. Yeah, well, I guess that's going to be the big decider. And when you got your first eval here, it was pretty standard, right? Uh, it was pretty good. Pretty. Okay, I mean it wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst. I wasn't. I wasn't. Okay, let me let me back up. I yeah. wasn't saying it was below average. Yeah. I wasn't saying that at all. Yeah. I'm saying it was a standard of like, hey, this is your first evaluation at this command. It's not going to be EP. That's, yeah, what yeah. Sa- that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, correct. No yeah. one's coming to a command and getting EP on the first one. If True. they are, there's some questions that would have to be asked. Yeah, yeah. So then you should be getting your next eval, which you're probably hoping for. A good one. A good one? Yeah. Like EP, right? Yeah. So if you had an MPEP average, you mathematically should be able to pick up. Yeah. On the, if I, yeah, if it's a good one, I'm going to study study super hard until the next exam. Study then, harder, as the chiefs say. Yeah, study harder. Which sometimes you can't study, you can't study past an 80, right? I'm, I'm going to figure out how. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's that's kind of my plan is going forward, see how this eval worked out. Because I, I feel like I worked pretty hard last year. And uh, if it reflects, and you know, maybe I'll just keep having good luck in the Navy. And if it doesn't, then... Try harder. I Try guess. harder or hope for another HYT extension as yeah. we're doing right now. Yeah, hopefully I'll get one of those. Right now everybody, everybody's staying in. We're going to have a bunch of E5s retiring here in the next few years. I know, that's crazy. I mean, that's how they should do it. You have all these people that have been in for a long time and they have all this I've had, knowledge. Yeah, I've had many conversations with E5s well more seasoned than I Yeah. where I'm saying, hey, you should be sitting in my seat Yeah. because you have all this experience. They should be able to retire. They used to. Yeah, I think I, when I when me and you first joined, you still could be retiring, yeah. and they kinked that real quick. I don't know mm. why. So the Navy or a lot of you have an opinion saying Corman can't make crank. I think up to E five is pretty easy. Yeah. Do you agree? Oh yeah, I didn't even try to make E five. I was just killing my job and. Okay, but I'm talking about people who are joining now with all these incentives. Oh yeah. How do you feel about? people getting bonuses at zone A and all all the star programs and reenlistment bonuses for all the techs. Yeah, I mean it's just it's kind of reflecting our need for people. I mean obviously the zone A is, yeah. We got to get them in somehow, keep them in. Um do you wish you had that same opportunity now? Oh yeah. Give me the bonus. I for real. I, I don't even care if it's 10 grand. Give yeah, me I'll the take bonus. Anything. Shoot. Anything's more than the base pay I get right now. Yeah. And living base housing, I don't see any of the BH either. Yeah, I'd like to see a zone C. Uh, zone, yeah, a zone zero. C. But they already got you at zone C. They're not going to give you that. Oh, not man. for quad zero. Yeah, they should. I, I envy the new guys coming in because they literally can, you know, do well performance wise, get to mm-hmm. make E4 at their first command because it's not a test, right? Yeah. They can submit for C school at their first command. Yep. Say any of the ones that come with a, a, a bonus or or star advancement, and they can leave with a C school and then pick up E five at their next command. And they're then they are like a six year E five. If they, they play the game right. If they play the game right, I envy that. I'm here at ten years. You're at ten years yeah. with no specialty, no certification. And we're scrambling for, you know, rank so we can get so we can retire. Yeah. There's no way you you can't be jealous of that. Oh uh, yeah, I mean a little bit, but at the end of the day, if they're a tech, they're gonna earn that money. 
Yeah, you're gonna tech for a long time. You're gonna yeah, tech into even, potentially even chief. You know, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna earn that money through tech. So I mean, I'm kind of not jealous in that way. So do you do you are you glad you're quad zero or do you? Oh yeah, I think every tech I've met just about has wanted to archive their NEC. Yeah. After a few years, mm-hmm. and they're just stuck in it. And um, like I said, every LPO I've ever had has been a tech. Yeah. Who's not tacking anymore? So it just kind of seems like why would I go to tech school? Uh, and try to be a tech when everyone that I see has made it is no longer a tech. The things that they're doing to be competitive and to... Some of them may have became a tech because it was only an option for them yeah. or they became a tech from a school yeah. and all they know is being a tech and they want to want to have the option of going to different duty stations since True. techs are limited. Yeah, so I mean, I think it'd be good for them, the new guys coming in if there's something that they want to do when they get out. Um Definitely for the people that aren't doing 20. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. You can leave your first... You can leave after, you know, eight years or so with some rank that pays well and a certification to get out. Yeah. And you don't feel like you invested, you know, 10 plus years in the Navy when you could be doing something else. True. I I envy them, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't change Yeah. the way I did things. Yeah, me either. I've had a pretty good time so far, so... I've enjoyed my time, too. I think that's going to wrap this up. I uh, appreciate your time. Yeah. Uh, I, I expect us to probably do this again sometime in the future. Yeah, and we'll do an update when I uh, get my eval. Yeah, oh, we'll do an <laughs> update. Yeah, we'll <laughs> update when you make E6, because I hope you do... I hope you le- at least leave here as an E6. Yeah, we'll I know try. you got plenty of time on board left. Yeah. Yep, thank you for your time, and I've enjoyed it. All right, appreciate it. Peace. Well, that wraps up our episode today. Please join me on the next episode of Hey Doc, Do You Have a Second? I'll be talking about the FMF pin in every aspect that I can. I'm going to dive into the weeds of that qualification process. And I want to do that because when I went to the green side, I had no idea what that process looked like, and I had to learn on the go. So what better way to prepare sailors as they come to an operational billet, specifically in this case, you know, a greenside billet, than to give them the tools and the information ahead of time so they come prepared.